it feels like Rocky being punched in the face by the big Russian, falling down, getting back up again and fighting as hard as you can to win that bout. That's how it feels. Welcome to We Talk IoT, a regular series of podcasts from the editors of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. This podcast is brought to you by Avnet Silica in cooperation with Microsoft. Hi, this is Tim Cole, the editor-in-chief of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. Pilz Automation is a global leader in industrial automation. Family-owned, Pilz was founded in 1948 by Hermann Pilz, originally as a glasswork. His son, Peter, turned it into a developer of electronic control and monitoring devices and programmable logic controllers. After his death in 1975 in an airplane accident, his wife Renate Pils transformed the Swabian SME into a global player focused on machine safety before handing it over in 2017 to her daughter Suzanne and her son Thomas, who joins us today to talk about automation and cybersecurity. Thomas, your mom seems to have been a very impressive lady indeed. Tim, thank you for inviting me and definitely I can only agree. My mother recently received the Bundesverdienstkreuz for her merits of her lifetime work and I truly believe she fully deserves it. Tell our listeners what's the difference between machine safety and industrial security. It's basically two sides of a coin. Tim. One is the safety, the other is the security. They look the same, but they're totally different. I understand that in German, the word Sicherheit means both. That is a problem of the German language. This is why we have to turn to Anglicisms to separate safety from security. Why is it so? It's because the English language is beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah. And you learned it, I understand, in Detroit, where you spent a couple of years. I had the opportunity to stay 10 years in Detroit, building our U.S. operations. And I'm very grateful to have had this time in my life. And how are them tigers, huh? Oh, they are just something you need to love. How have IoT and industrial industry 4.0 changed the focus of IT? I believe there has been a paradigm shift coming with IoT and Industry 4.0. It has in the past been a topic for the offices. Now with the new business models, IT becomes the vital infrastructure in the OT environment. Pilz technology ensures that not only industrial plants, but also things like London's eye and cable cars and Luggage conveyors operate safely. Tell us about some of your projects. We are very happy that our projects are across all industries. You mentioned some of them. Maybe you have not mentioned the biggest fun of them, which is the ski lift industry. So when you're in the Alps, when you're in the Rocky Mountains, and if you're sitting into a Doppelmeyer ski lift, we are proud suppliers of the controls to the Doppelmeyer company. Other fun factors are in the food and beverage industry. It's really a lot of fun to go into a chocolate 
manufacturing plant smell the beautiful chocolate and make sure that there's just chocolate and not a finger in the wrapper of the product. Well, great. I happen to live high up in the Alps, and the next Doppelmayr ski lift is about 500 meters away. Well, then, if it stops, you can blame us. <laughs> you like to talk about service robots. What do you mean by that? Is it the kind of assistant robot that you use in nursing homes? Tim, you've got it. It is one element of the service robots. Service robots covers all the robots that assist a either human or another robot in industry that has a dedicated manufacturing task. That's what makes this field so exciting. It appeared on the radar of international standards maybe seven years ago. And until now, we are struggling with it. Where does it fit? Because it fits in a nursing home, it fits in the shelving at a supermarket, or it fits in bringing additional parts to a industrial welding robot, for example, or to a manual assembly station. So therefore, the field of service robots can be categorized in multiple ways, and that's what makes it so fascinating. So it sounds like a whole new ball game, and surely you're introducing their service robot modules was more than just a new product. What was the driving force behind your entering this new terrain? The excitement of the unknown. The service robot market is an emergent market. And with our ROS modules, we wanted to pave the way for machine builders that previously wouldn't have called their machine a robot. But now that autonomy becomes the main characteristic of a service robot, it is clear that that market will develop just like autonomous driving on the roads. One of your credos is protecting people from machines is not enough. Machines must also be protected from people. Would you please explain? Let me start with a statement from Xi Jinping from China. He states, without cybersecurity, there is no national security. Breaking that down to the OT shop floor, without cybersecurity, there is no machine safety. And unfortunately, cyber criminals have detected that Internet of Things and Industry 4.0, with its new and emerging IT infrastructure, are a target for cyber attacks. And that's why now you also have to protect the machine from criminals. Funnily enough, your own company was the victim of a widely reported cyber attack in October 2019, which involved a very sophisticated Trojan horse software and ransomware, which seems to prove that it can happen to anyone. What does it feel like to be the victim yourself? Tim, it feels like Rocky being punched in the face by the big Russian falling down, getting back up again, and fighting as hard as you can to win that bout. That's how it feels. In an interview, your sister said that the company emerged from this disaster stronger than ever. How so? We were forced to build up our IT infrastructure from scratch. So we introduced new ways of segmenting. We introduced 
technologies that we didn't have in use since. And we switched into the cloud offering of Microsoft M365. And there I can really say that we were able within only five weeks to return to our customers via email. When you're totally captured by a encrypting software, no communication works any longer. And building up Microsoft M365 within only five weeks was a tremendous work, but we succeeded and we had email again. In the beginning on our mobile phones, when we had hardened personal computers again over our computers, but it was really a game changer to be in the Microsoft cloud. Previously, we had hosted our communication infrastructure on premise in our own computing centers, but with this total wipeout, we would not have been able to recover with this time needed. And when you are offering products to the market, you need to be able to communicate. So when the COVID-19 shutdown and mobile work requirement by the government came, we were not impacted at all because we had it set up from the get-go to meet requirements like the COVID scenario that we are in right now. Tell me, what can our listeners learn from your experience? Some stuff that we haven't said so far. They can learn that functional safety is not security and that Pilz is not a security company, but now has knowledge in security and can give OT security advice if required. And that is the main number one message. You need to be involved in security before you get hacked. It is not a question if you get hacked, it's only a question when you get hacked. We were already in contact with a company specialized on cybersecurity, and that enabled us to hit back hard. The second lesson is you can fight back and our local authorities do fight back for us. I'm very proud to report that the police authorities have a very good network themselves and that in our case, German police, Europol, Interpol, FBI worked together to take down the group that attacked us or basically saying the group that provided the shield under which they could penetrate our systems undetected. And the third one is crime as a service, how it is called nowadays, is a business model. The business model drives on ransom payments. So if the company that gets encrypted and blackmailed has a fighting chance not to pay, they should not pay since the money flow needs to dry out and making it economical, not interesting for criminals to attack industrial companies. Very good. I used to be a Boy Scout and our motto was be prepared. I think that would be something we can take from this conversation because as you say, it's not a question of will we be attacked, but when will we be attacked? Thank you very much, Thomas Pils, for sharing your insights and your obvious uh, honesty in dealing with what for many could possibly be a rather embarrassing topic. Thanks for joining us and uh, yeah, take care. Say hello to your mom. Will do. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate for inviting me to speak at this podcast. Thank you so much.
We Talk IoT, the smart industry podcast, is sponsored by Microsoft. Microsoft Azure IoT Hub. Highly secure and reliable communication between your IoT application and the devices it manages. Azure IoT Hub provides a cloud-hosted solution backend to virtually connect any device. Extend your solution from the cloud to the edge with per-device authentication, built-in device management, and scaled provisioning. IoT solution based on Microsoft IoT Hub, then Avnet IoT Connect is your perfect choice. A standardized way to harness IoT so your business can quickly build smart apps and solutions based on the Azure platform. Connecting everything to everything else can be a risky business, opening whole new avenues of attack by spies and hackers. For IT professionals, ensuring that devices are online, fixing issues, and effecting upgrades is like the task of the housewife, which, as we know, is never over. But help is on the way, says Roy Dagan, co-founder and CEO of Security Things, a company based in Tel Aviv that Forbes described last year as, quote, one of the top 20 IoT startups to watch in 2020. He's here today to tell us what the outlook is for 2021 and beyond. Roy, please tell our listeners about Security Things Horizon and why you claim its first IoT ops solution designed to help organizations maximize their devices' operational efficiency and security. So at SecureThings, we actually started with an initial focus on IT cybersecurity and then realized that the challenges our customer facing are, you know, are even bigger than that. Uh, the operational challenges are a huge part of uh, the pain, of their pain. So then we decided to expand the offering and add the compliance and operational capabilities to the system. And then thanks to the cybersecurity foundation that we already built, it was pretty easy for us to extend the system so it can also cater to the rest of the needs. Then we coined the term IoT Ops, which we see as kind of a rising practice, which you know encompasses all the operational teams that are accountable for the deployment, availability, and security of these devices. And at the end of the day, I think our customers just love the fact that it helps them solve both the cybersecurity as well as the operational challenges that they're facing. I'll also add that you know if you look at the IT space, you'll see that there are these huge categories of you know, orchestration, automation, observability, cybersecurity, compliance, uh, you know, and more of these uh, huge categories, each one a, a category by itself with uh, multiple vendors and systems. We're kind of pulling all these categories together into one solution, which is really tailored for these IoT devices. The IoT ops teams are currently underserved if you compare it to the IoT space, and we're providing them a system which is just, you know, tailored for their needs. Tell us, who is your typical customer? A typical customer will be you know, any organization in which IoT devices are an essential part of the daily operations. You know, think about airports, large tech companies, retailers, uh, financial institutions, universities, government, and the list just goes on and on. They each have devices scattered all over the place, devices such as cameras, access control systems, building management systems, and more. And these devices are all, you know, they're really mission critical for, for the organization. These sound like big organizations. Do you have anything on the shelf for small and medium-sized companies? 
Sure. So we actually, as part of our go-to-market, we work with uh, system integrators. Um, with system integrators, we also work with a kind of a you know indirect approach, complete indirect approach, and then we also provide the solution through our system integrators partners to smaller companies. How important is a unified view of IoT ops? I would say it's uh, extremely important. Uh, if you take a look at the you know the customers we mentioned earlier. They all have, you know, from hundreds to thousands to tens of thousands and more devices. Some actually have well over 100,000 devices. Uh, these devices you'll see are typically of different vendors, different models, different uh, firmware versions and so on. They are also scattered across, you know, wide, really wide location. And what we're seeing is that it's extremely hard to pretty much impossible to manage these devices without that, you know, kind of unified view and without also being able to correlate and understand events which are happening in different systems. And that's exactly what we're our, our, you know, equipping our customers with. But how do you get all these thousands of third-party device management systems and edge devices vendors to work together in a secure and reliable way? So I'd say the, the strength of the platform technology we built is exactly that, the ability to easily connect to these devices and management systems to be able to provide the customers that you know, single pane of glass or unified view across all that they have deployed within the organization. I, I think that due to our initial focus on cybersecurity, we were able to bring, build a, a very strong technological foundation that then really enabled us to extend the offering and go to market with a system in which it's it's really fairly straightforward to add additional devices and management systems. And that's all that, it, obviously, all that is done in a secure and you know, very reliable way. You mentioned automation. That seems to be a major new trend in IoT, isn't it? Yeah, I believe it is. And, you know, we're seeing that that's uh, one of, you know, even when we talk about our solution, it's one of the main building blocks of the solution. We actually found out that a lot of the challenges our customers are facing is really all the manual work that they are doing on a, on a daily basis. You know, whether if it's verifying devices are online, whether if it's upgrading devices, whether if it's restarting devices, rotating passwords, and more. Not only are you seeing that these activities are performed in uh, many cases manually, or let's say semi-manually, some of them are also very tricky. And you need to be very careful when performing them. Otherwise, you know, you might uh, lose um, communication with the device. So what we did is we added a set of automation capabilities, which enables them, you know, our customers to do these action either on a single device, a bulk of devices, and all that is uh, done in a click of a button. This is a really a huge, on one hand, a huge time saver, but it also improved their devices' availability and uptime. I believe it was Lenin who said, uh, trust is good, but control is better. How do you make sure when you automate IoT that everything really works the way it should? So I think if you do it in the right way, uh, you have control of the results. Uh, the problem today is that if you don't automate and everything is done manually, in many cases, it just isn't done and things just remain the way uh, they are. And you're seeing devices which are completely outdated. They have you know, firmware versions which haven't been updated in years. That's where you really lose control and also lose security because there's more vulnerability and you haven't updated this, that device uh, in a while. And really with that scale of devices, without automation, it's really impossible to do in any other way. Of course, as a company, you not only need to secure your devices and your IoT, you also have to be able to prove that you did it. 
uh, compliance is a big issue in other areas. Is it entering IoT in a big way too? Sure, uh, that's a good question. And I think it also has to do with a, you know, a trend we're seeing in the industry. Uh, we're seeing that both you know, IT and cybersecurity teams are much more involved with these devices than they were ever before. I think if you think about it, these IT devices are pretty much the only ones that don't go through IT. That's you know, if we compare it to your standard laptop, server, and so on. So these devices are purchased from a vendor, placed on a network, typically by a third-party system integrator. But these days we're seeing that the IT is becoming much more involved and there is much more scrutiny when it comes to these devices. So we actually added capabilities in the system to provide them the ongoing compliance monitoring and reporting, which they can then share with third parties, but then also capabilities at the same time within the system to improve the compliance status. So we're constantly tracking the compliance status by enabling them also to improve it if there's any you know, compliance, compliance issues. Of course, in many companies, people involved in IT and people involved in operations work for completely different departments and often they don't even talk to each other. How do you solve that problem? That's a great question. And I think that's exactly what we've solved. We're kind of you know, bridging that gap. You have two uh, separate, in many cases, as you said, separate organizations, different language, and that's kind of uh, the barrier. And we're providing them a system on one hand, which is you know, tailored for the uh, operational teams and provides them the capabilities that they need on a daily basis. On the other hand, it also works uh, well for the cybersecurity or IT teams, but it can also integrate with other third-party systems. So if, for example, the IT teams already have systems that they are used to, you know, using on a daily basis, let's say a SIM or something like that, or a t uh, another ticketing system, that's fine. We also integrate with those systems so they can you know, continue working in the regular flows in the regular way they're used to. But that kind of bridging that gap is, is essential these days. Sounds impressive. And it seems that you have been able to impress some very important people. You just secured a shot of venture capital from Aleph, an early stage venture capital fund that focuses on partnering with great Israeli entrepreneurs, as they say. Why did they choose you? So um, Alf, uh, yeah, they just joined, they just invested. Alf is actually a great investor with an amazing track record. And it's really, you know, it's, uh, we're very happy and it's great to have them on board. I'd say they probably chose us for three main re reasons, product, market, and momentum. So first product, it just made sense to them. Uh, they saw what we built, they spoke with our customers, and they heard how much they love the product and it's helping them solve daily challenges. They also realized the huge potential of pushing IoT ops as this new category. Second, a focus on the huge market of underserved IoT ops teams, which are just craving for, for such a solution. And third, again, momentum. So they immediately saw the, the great momentum that we have and the type of customers we are working with, with, which at the same time, we're also happy to serve as reference customers and speak with them. They also saw the partnerships we created with large system integrators and potential of working with these huge channel partners as part of our you know, go-to-market approach. Well, you have a great track record. Your company is only five years old and you're already closing six and seven figure deals. What are your plans for the future? So I'd say the focus is really around solution, customers, and scale. We will continue developing the solution you know, based either on our customer demand and our own 
uh, innovation, you know, our own kind of uh, sometimes crazy ideas, you know, cool features that we're adding just to make sure that it constantly provides more and more value to our customers. So what they initially purchased just becomes better and better. Then customers, we want to make sure our customers are always happy and want to work with us also, you know, on a personal level. We believe that, you know, a solution that w- the solution we're providing is one thing, but the service is an essential part of the journey uh, with us as a company. And then third, again, scale. Obviously, continue building the go-to-market team so we can put the platform in the hands of all relevant enterprises as there is a huge need in the market these days. Yes, that was Roy Dagan, co-founder and CEO of Security Things, a company that specializes in making IoT devices and the operations more efficient and more secure. Roy, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks a lot for having me today. And now, one more thing. Like many others along the North Sea coast, the port of Mürredijk has a large wind farm installed in 2020 and operated by Vattenfall, a European leader in green energy. However, officials soon realized the turbine towers could serve an additional purpose, namely hosting an IoT network to provide key sensor data to the bustling port 120 meters below. Curlink, an IoT specialist, was commissioned to create the gateways for a low Rawan project. While the 27-megawatt wind farm supplies clean energy to more than 27,000 households, the Curlink WireNet iStation, as it's called, receives sensor data and information from within a radius of 25 kilometers and securely transfers it to users in the energy-efficient IoT network. This includes monitoring air quality, CO2 emissions, water levels, and whether bridges and gates around the port are open or closed, which helps move traffic more efficiently while reducing emissions. In addition, the industrial-grade IoT network will be available near the port for shipping, rail, and other companies, as well as municipalities, government agencies, and individuals at low cost. The height of the towers means that the signal is stronger and reaches further. Aurélien Sergenet of Kerwick is happy with the results so far. Quote, the wind industry could become a crucial building block in the public Internet of Things, he believes. And adds, we usually do that on high buildings and pylons, but why not use turbine towers? Besides, piggybacking on a wind generator does away with the need to change batteries ever so often. That was We Talk IoT, the Smart Industry Podcast. You can read all the latest from Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine, by visiting our website at www.smart-industry.net, where you'll find hundreds of feature articles about everything from smart manufacturing and cognitive computing to autonomous driving, and how IoT and AI are making business smarter. There, you can sign up to receive our newsletter, Smart Industry Updates. I'm Tim Cole. See you back next month when, once again, we talk IoT. 